everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Slasher Street Podcast. My name is Ryan Devlin and thank you so much for joining me once again. This is a horror movie podcast where each week I will be reviewing and discussing in detail a particular horror movie from our epic collection here at the house. I hope you're all having an awesome week or as you know awesome as you can be during these testing times, keeping yourself busy, keeping your mind focused and of course watching as many horror movies as you possibly can to pass the time um so for the next hour or so you know let's keep each other company let's talk horror movies let's have a bit of a laugh and uh let's get ourselves through this together um so this week on the podcast we are going to be discussing one of my favorite movies in the hellraiser franchise uh we haven't spoken really at all of the hellraiser franchise since we've started the podcast um but i am quite a big fan of the hellraiser franchise so this week on the show as promised last week and a bit of a a random tangent I went on to get to this point in time Uh, but this week on the podcast we are going to be discussing Hellraiser Inferno which is the fifth installment out of ten I believe is the ten Hellraiser movies let's just have a count up I've got them all here in front of me one two Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Yes, God, I should have known that. But yes, there has been ten Hellraiser movies uh, in the series, and they're all very different to each other. Um, but so this is the fifth one. So right bang in the middle that we're starting off on. Uh, and to be honest, it is one of my personal favourites in the franchise. Um, I know, really, from this point onwards, a lot of people aren't really huge fans of the Hellraiser franchise. And I can totally see why. This is the first of the straight-to-DVD specials, if you will. Um, there's obviously Hellraiser 1 to 3, which is their own trilogy in their own right. It's it's an awesome trilogy, don't get me wrong. Then you've got Bloodline, which is number 4, and then you have this one as Inferno. Um, now, as I say, this is the first of a series of direct-to-DVD movies so none no other hellraiser movie after hellraiser bloodline which is number four had a theatrical release which is kind of sad to see what happened to the franchise but that's not to say these are bad movies it was just that the direct to dvd um and in terms of my thoughts on the franchise in general obviously as i said i'm quite a big fan of the franchise the first three are absolutely awesome hellraiser one hellraiser two hellraiser hellraiser three they are their own little trilogy really come on you know they really are because they have a relatively coherent story going throughout the three of them uh, they're all set in a very very similar style um and in a particular point in time Hell, uh, pinhead is very much um the same kind of character in all three of these movies has the same goal and it's all got kind of the same backstory leading into them so it's a great trilogy. Then you've got Bloodline, which is all about, you know, how the box was made and Pinhead in Space. Is it Pinhead? Is that Pinhead in Space? I think that was, yeah. So that one was Pinhead in Space in the end. And then you have From he- from Inferno Down, basically none of these movies have any cohesive storyline. There's no follow-on. They're all just separate, s- separate on their own, singular storylines. And... The, basically, the, the movies that are after this one, from Inferno to Judgment... Well, not Judgment, actually, in Inferno to Hellworld, and potentially Revelations, but we'll get to that. Um, so the next four, which you've got Hellraiser, Hellseeker, Deader, and Hellworld, they, these are basically straight-to-DVD scripts that were already in the pipeline by Dimension. Someone had already you know written these scripts and then but they need to bring out a hellraiser movie so they put basically dot in hellraiser elements to these films uh then you have hellraiser revelations which is known to have you know quite possibly the worst portrayal of pinhead in the entire franchise um but it was kind of i actually enjoyed revelations because i mean i didn't enjoy it because of it was a good movie I enjoyed it because the movie itself was probably the most Hellraiser movie since this one, um, and the Cenobites and Hell and and Pinhead rather had a very 
solid part of the story they were in it yes the the portrayal of pinhead was terrible you know we're not going to jump over that um it wasn't doug bradley um who played pinhead in that movie but you know the actual story itself wasn't too bad and hellraiser judgment which came out a couple of years ago which is the most recent one actually is pretty damn decent um it's probably better than a few of these direct to dvd ones and i actually think it's better than bloodline as well so that's controversial but you know i actually think I don't think they're going to make any more Hellraiser films like this in terms of director-DVD. I think that one was the last one. Uh, and the guy who played Pinhead in that movie was actually pretty decent as well. Um, he's not Doug Bradley, but he was actually, though, know, he was he was pretty decent. But anyway, you know, I digress on the franchise in general. We're, we're going to be talking about um, Hellraiser Inferno. So as I say, for me, um, this is actually probably the best of the director-DVD um installments in the hellraiser franchise it's probably not the best fran it's probably not the best hellraiser movie um but for me it's the best definitely the best of the director dvd ones and i would actually say it's up there with you know one two and three in terms of quality and story and how this movie is made i actually think you know an enjoyment that's a big thing as well i really enjoy this film um it's a really well done movie even though it's not really a Hellraiser movie. We'll, we'll get to all that point, of course, and reasons behind that. But, um, yeah, for me, this is probably the best of all of the direct-to-DVD sequels. Uh, and as I said, all of the direct-to-DVD sequels that came out, they're all movies that were basically pre-written scripts uh, with Pinhead and a few of the Hellraiser elements thrown into them. Uh, this one is very obvious of that. I think they try and hide that in a couple of the other ones, but it's very obvious, and it's very obvious in this one, that this script wasn't written to be a Hellraiser movie. It was It was written to be It's probably its own movie about a detective who slowly loses his mind or lives in his own personal Groundhog Day-style hell. Uh, and then, obviously, Dimension was like, oh, well, we could probably dot in the Cenobites and dot in the box and dot in Pinhead along the way in this movie, and we'll make it a Pinhead movie, uh, make it a Hellraiser movie, rather. Uh, and the reason behind that was because of the contract that Dimension Films had with, I believe, Clive Barker, what had happened was um, they had to release a Hellraiser movie I think it was once every two years. Once every, say, three years, I think it was. There's something in the contract. I'm not sure exactly of the dates, but basically they have to be seen to still produce Hellraiser movies. Um, so the, it was a way for them to get these pre-written scripts out there that they wanted to produce the movies of, but it was also a way of keeping the copyright rights to the Hellraiser franchise. So it was kind of win-win for both sides, but a lot of these kind of feel... Like, there's not a lot of love put into them because they're not really Hellraiser movies. Or they weren't written to be Hellraiser movies anyway. Um, so anyway, this movie itself had a $2 million budget, which is great. Like, $2 million for a direct-to-DVD movie. Now, at this point in time, to the year 2000, and Hellraiser was still a pretty big deal. So the last one came out in 1996 before that, which was Bloodline. Then before that, you had 1992 Hell on Earth. So it's a late 80s, early 90s um, franchise that is popular at this point in time, you know, for Hellraiser. Um, so 2000, people are kind of thinking, oh, a new Hellraiser movie. So maybe $2 million would have... They maybe just thought that was worth it. I don't know. It has a very much a TV movie feel to it you know because they the way it's made and everything you know we'll get into actually my thoughts and how it's shot but the whole thing the script and everything kind of does feel like more of a tv movie so for dimension to really invest two million dollars into this movie is a pretty big deal and just as a comparison really to the latest movie <laughs> in the franchise hellraiser judgment so this one in the year 2000 the very first director dvd sequel for the hellraiser franchise had two million dollar budget uh, hellraiser judgment which came out in 2018 so you've got to think as well of the inflation of money since the year 2000 and really two million dollars then is probably worth three million dollars now or maybe more you know it's 20 years ago let's remember uh, but anyway the one that came out two years ago was made for three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. so you can see over the last 20 years Dimension Movies' love for this franchise has dwindled to the point where they're just giving it... Really, $350,000 is not far off what a fan film would, you know, cost to produce. So that's that's how much they kind of 
like how much they have confidence in the franchise these days. Uh, and you got to think that was made by uh, Gary Tunnicliffe, who may who has a lot of the makeup jobs on these movies. So you know it's kind of a bit disrespectful. But hey, two million dollars to make this. Obviously, it didn't have a box office gross because it didn't have a theatrical release. It was just straight to DVD. So this movie as well. Um, not many people would maybe know this, but this has a really famous director at the helm. Um, this was directed by Scott Derrickson, uh, who also directed the Doctor Strange movie in the Marvel Universe. He directed Sinister. I think he wrote those movies as well. The Exorcism of Emily Rose and Deliver Us From Evil. So this guy went on to have a really solid career. And uh, this was his first movie, Hellraiser Inferno. I think... You know, I haven't looked up interviews or anything like that, so I don't really know. But I hazard a guess that Scott kind of wrote the script for this separate movie, gave it to Dimension, and then they kind of went, well, this is good, but to get it made, you need to make it into a Hellraiser movie. And this is how we'll do it, just to give you the money and just to make, <laughs> just so you can fund it and kind of have it as a money project. So there was probably a bit of back and forth there. At least that's how I see it anyway. You know, it's someone's first movie and a huge production company like Dimension Films, uh, which at that time were producing loads of horror movies. So if you were wanting a career in directing horror movies and someone offered you $2 million to do it, and then they said, oh, by the way, we want you to kind of change your script to make it into a Hellraiser movie, of course you're going to say yes. No way on earth are you going to say no to that. Um, so in terms of the cast as well, main cast, Craig Schaefer is the um, big star in this movie and he is the detective Joseph Thorne. So he's like, basically this whole movie is, I don't think there's a scene in this movie that he's not in. So he is like the main guy in this movie. Um, obviously, he's famous for, mainly famous for his role in One Tree Hill uh, and a few other smaller movie parts as well. Uh, and, you know, American TV programs, that kind of thing. Um, but he's really, really good in this movie. He's like, this is a fantastic performance from him. And I don't really know about his past in terms of starring in movies or anything like that, but... You know, he like say he's in every single every single scene in this movie, and the whole movie focuses around him and uh, the character he plays. He plays it so well. Like the acting in this movie is second to none. Like I cannot fault the acting in this movie. And a lot of the later installments, the acting as they do in low budget director DVD films gradually gets slightly worse but the acting in this movie is fantastic uh we obviously have the doug bradley as pinhead now one of my only gripes in this movie there isn't many i'll be honest with you because this movie is i've thoroughly enjoyed i mean this was one of the first hellraiser movies that i saw um Anytime that I think of a Hellraiser movie, this is actually the one that comes to mind, even more than the original, because I remember watching this as a teenager over and over again. I just loved this movie when I was younger and growing up, and I was a bit worried. I did a Hellraiser marathon not too long ago, um, and I was quite concerned that this movie wasn't going to be as good as I remember it being, uh, because especially when I watched one through three and thought, damn, these are really awesome movies, uh, but... And I thought, I'm really, I, don't, I hope I'm not going to dislike Inferno, you know? But I didn't. I think this movie stands alone and is a very enjoyable watch. Yes, it's not really a Hellraiser movie. It just has Hellraiser characters thrown into it. But for the most part, I, like I say, I thoroughly enjoy this one. But my only gripe, that's where I was getting at there. I was kind of going off, I'm probably going to go off on quite a few tangents on this week's podcast when it comes to this movie. Um, but one of my real only gripes in this movie i think they've only got one other as well during the movie that i wasn't a fan of but pinhead is only in this movie for two minutes max hellraiser at this point in time you know we had hellraiser one through three where obviously pinhead was a huge focus huge pop culture icon really you know you had action figures there was waxworks in museums of pinhead you know cosplays at every convention and still is to this day really pinhead is one of the most recognizable horror villains ever in the history of horror he's an icon he's one of my favorites of all time of course and he's only in this movie for about two minutes uh, and that's very reminiscent of a lot of the other later ones as well like doug bradley is not in it a lot i don't it can't have been a budget issue because obviously the film had a two million dollar budget there's not a huge amount of gore or effects in this movie 
so what happened to this two million dollar budget you know um i just wish for me we could have seen him in two or three more scenes i i would have been happy with that i think there's a few scenes in this movie that really would have benefited from having pinhead in them um but as i say altogether screen time in this 99 minute movie so this isn't a short movie this is an hour and 40 minutes this movie it's a quite a long watch uh, but it's a really good watch really interesting watch but out of an hour and 40 minutes he's only in it for two minutes so that's really disappointing that's you know a big downer on this movie for me uh we've got james ramar in this movie who is he plays uh dr paul gregory who is the psych psychiatrist rather in the police station uh obviously james ramar big in dexter he had a relatively big part in sex in the city and he's been in loads of other movies as well which you know i can't think of off the top of my head but he's the type of actor for me who he seems to be in everything, but also nothing. You know, you like as soon as you see Paul, Ram- uh, sorry, James Ramar. What did I say, Paul? That's uh, because his character's Paul. Uh, if you see James Ramar, Ramar's face in a movie, you're like, oh, that's that guy. He's also been in. You know, he seems to be in everything, but nothing as well. That's a really weird comparison, but you know, for me. He's just got one of those faces <laughs> that you remember. Uh, we also have uh, Nicholas uh, Tutoro, I think that's how you pronounce his name, as Detective Tony Neonan, or just Detective Tony. Uh, he's like basically the guy that uh, Craig Schaefer fucks up and like completely tries to ruin his life. It's a real shame. Uh, again, he's been in loads of smaller TV stuff. I think he was in Paul Blart. He was in um, like kind of a few of those other... Uh, was he in Here Comes the Boom? I think he was in that as well. Uh, he's been in a few of those kind of comedy movies, you know. Um, so, yeah. And that's basically the whole cast, if I'm honest with you. I mean, we've got a couple of characters here and there. So we've got the guy who drives the ice cream van. got obviously the hooker, his wife, his daughter. But they're not really main characters. In terms of main characters, it's all about these four people in, in the whole movie, to be honest with you. Um, and... We do have Cenobites in this movie, which is obviously a big step up. Now, these Cenobites are very, very different to the Cenobites we see in the earlier installments. Uh, So just to get that out there right now, there's only, I think, three Cenobites in this movie. Obviously, in the other movies, you had the Chatterer, you had the girl with the neck open, um, you had uh, the guy with the the chubby kind of gloopy one with the goggles uh, those are the famous cenobites as well as pinhead of course they are the most famous ones they're the ones that you recognize with the franchise and for some reason whatever reason there is whether it's a money issue i'm not too sure um but there seems to be different cenobites in different movies and from this movie on they're always different and we actually get a call back to the earlier Cenobites in the latest one in Judgment. And I think there is in uh, Revelations as well. I haven't seen it in quite a while. But yeah, that's kind of what I like about the latest two. Although they are, you know, not great movies per se. They're more Hellraiser movies than there has been for many, many years. Um, But anyway, the Cenobites in this movie, we only have three. We have the two sexy Cenobites <laughs> in inverted commas uh, they kind of the ones who always try it on with with uh, Craig Schaefer's character they are you know they're really good makeup when they put the hands through the chest and kind of have this like amateur softcore threesome in the corridor and it's very strange but uh, um so we've got the two centibytes one then we have the le- the legless or not even legless really he's only got two arms and a head kind of from above the torso up uh chatterer so it's cool that we see the chatterer one back it's not the same one that you see in the earlier french in the earlier entries rather um but it's good to see kind of a callback to that and the makeup's pretty damn decent they're very much like what you kind of see in Pan's Labyrinth or um, that kind of thing. They're not anywhere near as good or look anywhere near what the Cenobites looked like in the original movies, though. So you've got to keep that in mind. Although they are Cenobites and we recognize that they're Cenobites because, you know, it's a Hellraiser movie, they're nothing like the Cenobites in any of the other earlier entries. Um, this movie as well, it isn't really 
a horror movie. It's not a straight-up horror movie. It's nothing like the first three. And I can't really put that across enough. So if you go into this movie expecting to see a Hellraiser movie that you're similar to 1, 2, and 3, you're probably going to be disappointed because it's not anything like those movies. For me, it has horror elements to it, but it's not really a horror movie. It's kind of more of a crime thriller detective movie. It reminds me very much of kind of things like CSI, um, NCIS, that kind of thing. And it's shot in that similar way as well. And I think that's maybe why I really enjoyed it when I was a kid, because I was a huge NCIS, CI, uh, NC, um, blah, 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 blah. CSI rather as well. God, my brain. <laughs> All these TV programs, the crime thrillers. Um, I was a huge fan of those style of programs when I from the ages of probably eight through. Well, I'm still a fan of them now, but I don't really watch them as often, obviously. Um, but probably from the ages of eight through to sixteen, definitely, I was a mad CSI fan, uh, mad NCI NCIC fan. I just loved those weekly crime dramas so for me this movie growing up was perfect because i was a big horror movie fan i was a big crime thriller fan and this had elements of everything into the one pot for me uh, it had elements of hellraiser elements of horror elements of crime i just loved this whole idea and this whole thing although as i said earlier it just makes it blatantly obvious that it wasn't written to be a hellraiser movie which is a great shame so the movie itself mainly focuses on Craig Schaefer's character, which is Detective Joseph Thorne. Now, this guy is a horrendous human being. He's basically a corrupt detective who um, doesn't have a care in the world for others. He's completely taken his life for granted. He doesn't give a shit who he hurts in the process. Like, this guy is a total piece of shit. You know, he is a coke addict. He is a I see his corrupt, corrupt detective. He doesn't see his family. He doesn't see his parents. He's kind of just abandoned them in an old folks' home. Um, he cheats on his wife. He doesn't really spend any time with his kids. Or his kid, rather. He's got a daughter. He sets his partner up so that he gets framed, potentially, for the murder of this hooker that he sees. Um, it's just a terrible, truly awful person. Um, but So he's not a hero, by any means, but he's our main protagonist in the whole film. Like, it's very strange setup because basically this whole movie, you see this guy slowly losing his mind. Um, he live, he is living in his own personal hell, um, which is very different to the other Hellraiser movies in the franchise. So the movie itself starts with us going with Craig Schaefer's character to a crime scene and he's it's basically this is another thing that just shows how much of a piece of shit he is he sees this guy on the floor dead he's been ripped apart and it's person it's someone who has been playing with the box playing with the uh you know the the hellraiser portal box obviously as it as we know in previous movies the chains come rips him open but we don't we don't unfortunately see that uh, we just see the after effects of that so he's you know he he knows him he went to school with him and he just says oh man this guy we gave him hell we gave him hell in school and he just laughs and it's like this guy's been ripped apart and he's dead you bullied him in school and now you're saying like you, how much you gave him hell the guy's dead come on but uh, and another thing is, you know, this guy who is now dead, you know, he has to take all of his possessions into custody. And uh, he not only does he, you know, laugh at the fact that he's bullied him in school, um, but he, when he's when he's taking his, his items in, he takes $300 from his wallet. I mean, who carries $400? I mean, unless he's had to go out and buy the box. Who knows, you know, if he's been seeking that pleasure. Um, so he, not only does he do that, but he then steals $300 from the guy's wallet and then treats himself to some cocaine and a hooker. <laughs> it's like this guy's a this guy's a detective oh it's just yeah this guy is a total piece of shit but i say he's our main character in the whole movie focuses around this guy it's very um it's very w interesting how they do this to be honest how they do this um so he ends up treating himself to this hooker and he's you know he sleeps with the hooker and has you know has his money's worth 
Uh, and then he ends up sleeping in the bathroom. He He's taken the evidence of this clear murder i mean this is obviously a murder of what's happened here it's a crime scene it's a murder and um he's taken the the box with him to this hooker and he starts playing with it in the bathroom on his own and then the lights change and essentially from what i can gather this is him being transported to his own personal hell now what i really quite like about this movie is it takes a totally different spin on the Hellraiser rules because previously when people open up the the box, the puzzle box, they are met by the Cenobites and they are met by Pinhead and then it's all about, you know, pleasure and flesh and pleasure and flesh and pain and all this kind of stuff. Uh, hooks, chains, you know, torture. It's all very painful and everything... The, the hell that these people go through is mainly a hell of pain and, and say torture whereas the pain for this character for for craig schaefer's character is one of psychiatric damage he's basically going through his own personal hell that he has created for himself by being such a piece of shit um and i just find that interesting that that's a rule that we don't haven't really explored and they do rough they do kind of explore this as well in hellseeker as well like they kind of take this concept and make it even they kind of take it even further for me actually in hellseeker in terms of living your own personal hell and living almost a groundhog day style day i really enjoy this so he his hell is just basically something that he has thought up himself you know from how he's treat others over the years but for me i would probably prefer this over the torture because here's the thing and this is just what we what i was thinking of before spoilers to for the end of the movie of course but he is a he's going to be living in this personal hell and yes he sees his daughter and his wife die and yes that must be traumatic but it's not real as far as i can tell it's not real none of this is really happening he's dead or at least is he dead i don't he's transported to hell so he can live his own personal hell forever and it's like groundhog day he's gonna live this day as traumatic as it is for the rest of his life and no matter what he does he will always die at the end of this day so why would you just not have some fun with it you know when you get back into the bedroom the hooker was alive sleep with the hooker again then instead of going to the police station just kind of go see a movie go and play with your daughter go and you know just spend the day watching tv or play football or whatever you want to do you know it's not real it's kind of Although it would get very repetitive over the, over time, you know, because eventually you know, like you'd be looking at your clock thinking, oh, well, I'm going to die in an hour or I'm going to, she's going to die in an hour or this is going to happen in an hour or two hours, however long. You'd kind of become numb to it over time. So just have fun with it. But we see this in the first day. So we don't know. Maybe he does do that in the future, <laughs> you know, because this is his, we only see his first walkthrough of his own personal hell. So maybe, you know, in the future he does but for me maybe pinhead would kind of we kind of see as well pinhead has a bit of power over that in this movie which we'll get to um but yeah you know maybe he will work that out over time but maybe also pinhead has control over where he goes and when and it's designed as such to you know basically give him hell give him more hell so as well as everything that's happening in his own personal hell there is kind of a a side story to this movie the to kind of keep us intrigued because obviously if a guy's just walking through his own personal hell it probably wouldn't be quite as interesting so especially because this is more of a crime thriller movie uh, there is essentially a case that this guy that the detective has to solve throughout the whole movie so for this one it is all centered around a character called the engineer who we don't really know a lot about we don't really ever see we do at the end of the movie but the whole thing is the engineer is killing all these people and leaving a child's finger somewhere in the crime scene um, as a clue. Uh, so he's also got a, a child that's alive that he's cutting the finger off of as well as killing all these people. Now, he ends up basically killing all of Craig Schaefer's acquaintances and he ends up being the, the, the clue. But that is essentially the back... This is the crime that is being solved through the movie the payoff isn't that great but we'll we'll get to that at the end now we meet 
the detective's snitch. He's like, a, he. this just proves again just how much of a piece of shit this, this detective is because his snitch is a sex offender ice cream driver. I'm not too sure if it's a paedophile, but he's hanging around kids very strangely in this movie, so maybe he's a child sex offender. We, I don't know. I should really know, but um, I couldn't quite grasp that much about the character. But again, that just tells you much more about this character, that the fact that his snitch is this other piece of shit who should be locked up, and he ends up basically selling drugs and ice creams to to kids Uh, but he's the one who tells him about the engineer um but this is the thing the engineer doesn't really exist it's a part of it's a part of um craig schaefer's mind and his subconscious he's created the engineer himself it's very but you know the 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 actual chase is very interesting because it's more of a i say that a crime thriller up until the end um, but the snitch tells us this story about the engineer, and but this story didn't really happen. So, you know, is it just there to fuck with him? As Pinhead just put the snitch in this world to, you know, put him off on the right or the wrong track. You know, I just think that I thought that bit was a bit strange. Now, the other scene that I'm not a huge fan of in this movie, and if you if you've watched this movie, you know exactly what I'm going to be just say right now. There's a strange cowboy bar scene. Yes, that's the one. I don't get this scene at all. There is a scene in this movie where Craig Schaefer's character and the his deputy, his, his partner Nick, end up going to this cowboy bar in the middle of nowhere. And it's, I say it's filled with cowboys just kind of playing poker and stuff like that. Uh, and then he ends up seeing the Cenobite that he has been seeing in a few scenes at the other end of the bar and goes running after him into the into the woods he ends up being attacked by these cousin it style cowboy ninjas and they just beat the shit out of him and i was like what is going on here like why is this happening this has nothing to do with the story i actually thought originally the first time i watched this that there were cenobites because you don't see their face but i don't think they are i think they're just cowboy ninjas with really long hair that covers their face. So they're kind of like, they look like Cousin It from the Adams Family. Very random, doesn't really have a place in the movie, have no idea why it's there. And I'm just like, what's going on? Like, I, I was in the middle of a really interesting crime drama with some horror elements happening, of course. And then all of a sudden we see these chubby cowboy ninjas beating the shit out of our main character. I was like, what on earth? So that move, that scene for me, should have just taken that out. Take it out because, as I say, it's not a short movie. This movie is not, you know, an hour and 20 minutes or anything like that. This is an hour and 40 minutes. And that scene goes on for a good seven minutes, really. So maybe even longer, actually. By the time you do the whole cowboy, uh, by the time you do the whole scene, and then you've got the, the fight, it probably is around about, yeah, about seven minutes. So for me, just take that scene out. I mean, that would have made the film a lot better because... For, this is the only scene in the movie that I don't really, you know, like. And I think that says a lot about the movie, how good the movie is on its own as a standalone movie. This is just this scene. I'm just like, what on earth? It's so random. It is insane. Um, so basically, from this point onwards, all of Craig Schaefer's associates, his friends, his family get killed off one by one so it's first it's the hooker who gets killed then the ice cream driver which i think is a really cool death although we don't really see it it's kind of on the tape and he's getting whipped and but when he goes to find the body afterwards the makeup effect on that is really awesome his back's been whipped and rived open with these kind of fish hooks really really good stuff really good makeup there's not a lot of gore in this movie at all now Basically, in a lot of the other Hellraiser movies, there's some really great gore effects, especially in 1 and 2. Number 3 is pretty decent as well, but the gore in those movies is really, really top-notch for relatively low-budget movies. Um, in this movie, there isn't really a lot of gore. There's not a lot of that kind of stuff happening. It's mainly folk. It's a story-based movie. That's as best as I can describe it. It's not a horror-gore movie. It's story-based because it's not really 
written to be a horror movie so you know it's one of those things so yeah the hooker gets killed first we don't see that the ice cream driver gets killed we don't really see that although we see the aftermath his partner nick gets killed as well um which we do see but weak nothing happens there at all um and then his mum and dad die which again we don't see but we see an aftermath of that and then we see his wife and child die so for the most part the kills in this movie are pretty poor even craig schaefer's character when he eventually dies it's very poor there isn't any gore there's a lot missing here that could have really for me if they wanted it still to be an hour and 40 minutes take out that stupid cowboy scene put a bit more money into the gore that would have been fabulous but uh, i just think that's a small nitpick there you know of what they could have done in hindsight um there's a really cool and just talking about the acting in this movie again there's a really solid scene in this movie with james ramar's character who's the psychiatrist and craig schaefer's character as well where basically at this point in time uh most of the people that is the detective thorn's friends and and family and and colleagues have been picked off one by one by the engineer and um yeah i have this really it's this is kind of the point where you it comes around that he's the engineer and he's engineering the whole thing and he's pinhead but it doesn't it's not revealed in this scene but the acting between the two in this scene is absolutely fantastic. And James Ramar is kind of going on about um, how this policeman lost his mind, ended up blowing his brains out. He essentially was telling the story of Detective Thorne, but only in the middle of the story. I just think the acting, fantastic, you know, cannot really fault any the the acting in this movie is absolutely fantastic uh, but as i say at this point in time it's pretty obvious who he is what's happening and where the movie is leading to um there's some scenes in this movie as well with uh, craig schaefer's character and his mum and dad and they are both horrifying and upsetting at the same time um the the first one is kind of going down the corridor and he sees the guy in the wheelchair which i've used as the image for this podcast on the facebook page he's got the hooks in his mouth like classic hellraiser gag and the hooks are hooked onto the back of his wheelchair it's freaky as hell he's got a child's laugh very horrifying but damn what an awesome probably one of the best makeup jobs of the whole movie the makeup in this movie is really good for what for what they did use for it um now obviously this the first time he goes in to see them it's a dream scene um that is the main thing to take away from that he doesn't really ever visit them um but the whole thing's a dream scene so I don't, what am i saying the whole thing is mainly a dream scene anyway uh, but the first time he goes to see them he's in a dream scene he sees them in the bed in the room in the old folks home and they're like you never come and visit us you know you never come and visit us uh it's very sad actually uh, then he wakes up back home now that's a huge thing for me in this movie because although this movie has a rough groundhog day feel to it it this particular moment in the movie proves that pinhead and the cenobites and whoever's ruling this universe can place craig schaefer's character in different places at different times so he leaves the old people's home where his mom and dad were wakes up back home and then the phone rings again so almost time is reversed but only by a couple of hours so he doesn't relive the whole day from the scratch he just relives the last couple of hours so again that kind of explains a lot about the movie and kind of the powers that hel- uh, that uh, that Pinhead has. Uh, then he goes back to the home and the nurse says, "Oh, I didn't know they had a son. That's really sad. The fact that they're in, they're both in you know care and trying to uh, look after each other in this care home, and the son never goes to visit them because he's too busy." you know taking cocaine sleeping with hookers stealing money from dead people setting up his partner being a general terrible human being Uh, so it's kind of really sad Uh, then we see um later in the movie or later in this stage of the movie uh that we go back to craig schaefer's childhood home and it looks like for the most part that he had a pretty awesome upbringing like his mum was really nice making them cookies and uh, was it brownies in the movie rather and it just seems yeah he seemed like he had a pretty good upbringing i mean he must have de- had done pretty well he's got a decent job but he somehow somewhere along the line he just turned into a horrible human being um but then we have the next scene where it, 
the scene transcends itself so you know it has a bit of a time jump in the scene and the the walls get grottier and grottier and then uh, this horrifying scene where his mum and dad have their eyes pulled out and uh, coming up to him with a knife saying you don't visit us anymore you know it's very freaky ass stuff um but for me like really really awesome scene uh, and but the whole relationship that he has with his parents is very uh, very unsettling very upsetting um but you wouldn't really have it any other way for a guy who's portrayed as such a horrendous person in general now the only thing is for me this this movie doesn't really have a big payoff at the end when we get the reveal of who the engineer is um it's so obvious to an extent that it's not really you don't really get much of a payoff um which is a big shame um because the chase in the detective movie is in the detective section of the movie is probably the best bit of the movie uh the most intriguing part and you're you really invested in the case um uh, because it's really well made and yeah it gets revealed that you know the it's all the psychiatrist doing he's the engineer and he is also pinhead <laughs> it's just like you could just tell that this that this point in the movie was when they were like yep this is where we'll put pinhead in here and this is where he'll be and it's like come on like th- to be honest this movie doesn't need pinhead or really any of the centipedes you could put any random monsters or ghostly creatures into the dream scenes or the dream type scenes that are in this movie that craig schaefer goes through take out pinhead and just keep james amara as kind of the person who is overshadowing this hell that he's living in you'd have had still an awesome movie like this movie wouldn't have changed one little bit but they had to do it to sell it as a hellraiser movie of course which is a shame so ends up being a psychiatrist who ends up being a pinhead in his ongoing cycle of hell um and for me, that basically meant none of the case meant anything because, you know, it didn't really uh, didn't really happen. He was just sent on a wild goose chase in hell, and that's a shame because if, when you're a, when you're so invested in this movie, if especially if you've never seen it before, you'll be seriously invested in this. Uh, and then to not really get anything at the end is a bit of a shame. I mean, there is the reveal, you know, that of who it is, but. It's not really a big payoff. You you think you'd let him win the case, even if like the engineer was Nick, his partner, or his boss, or his wife. I, I don't know. Um, or even if it was James Ramar's character, but he didn't turn into Pinhead. I think that would have been a much better finish. But you know, it's one of those things. Uh, we also see the podium of the Hellraiser kind of podium in this scene as well, where James Ramar he's captured the detective's wife and daughter uh it's a staple of the franchise uh although it looks different in pretty much every single entry (laughs) every single entry has a different version of the podium this is kind of the cheapest looking one um but it's not really there to serve a purpose of what it does in the other movies anyway so it doesn't really matter too much the makeup on it for his wife and daughter falling apart doesn't look great either the actual crack and when the daughter's arm comes off that looks pretty damn good if you ask me because she's frozen the arm just snaps off it's pretty good the whole thing's solid and then they kind of just shatter into a million pieces and that looks really cheap and not really coherent to what's happening just seconds earlier when they start to crack so that for me i wasn't a huge fan of but um i just think that part of it was worked pretty well for the most part and then really one of the final scenes in the dreamlike hell that is in um we see pinhead in the middle we have another version of craig schaefer's character to the right he's the end he's the killer but not the engineer so he's the one who's been killing all of these people for pinhead pinhead's the engineer but he's been engineering the whole thing and then we also have craig schaefer's character as his younger self as well who has been the one who's getting his fingers taken off now this is a pretty if you've never seen this movie before at this point in time you'll be thinking what so he was the killer and he was the victim the whole time you've got to remember the whole story's changed because it's his own personal hell there's no repercussions for this so it's just there to basically fuck with him 
for the whole time that he's in hell to make his life and his day as bad as possible and that's all that it's there for but the more you see it kind of makes more sense i mean you've got pinhead in the middle of this scene you've got well you've got the real craig schaefer looking at them you have pinhead in the middle you have the uh, the killer craig schaefer on one side you have the child and that kind of represents the innocence of the child because we see in in that flashback episode now that flashback you know scene he has a pretty good upbringing and a really innocent kind of fun childhood like there's no reason for him to end up any other way uh, but then throughout his adulthood he's just became a more corrupt and much worse human being and bits of everything that he's done in his life whether it is treat his wife like a piece of garbage and cheat on her or whether he doesn't see his mum and dad anymore he's just abandoned them in a home whether he's taken the drugs addicted to the drugs stealing from victims whatever it is those actions just slowly pick apart the innocence of his childhood and i thought that came across pretty well um in the movie and he's slowly killing his you know, slowly killing his innocence of his childhood, really, through all the corruption and um, you know horrendous acts that he's uh, he's done over the years. So that's kind of where that scene is and how that how that scene makes sense. But for me, I actually kind of I, I thoroughly enjoy that. Um, we see as well the classic Hellraiser scene, you know, with the chits because we've seen throughout this whole movie there isn't really hasn't been any chains. <clears throat> Sorry. I mean any chains and that's obviously been a huge part of the hellraiser franchise for the previous ones so just to send everyone home happy they get the chains out pinhead after the big reveal of why this has happened and he's in his own eternal hell welcome to hell all that kind of stuff welcome to hell uh the chains come rip craig schaefer you know in half now the scene itself is split for me because the, the makeup when he's actually got the chains running through his face, uh, they kind of have that stalled moment, don't they, in these movies where you see the chains in his face before they rip his skin off. That looks damn good. That looks pretty damn awesome. But the actual ripping of the skin off looks damn weak. Um, it, it, does, it looks like it's just been some ham ripped off, like a piece of meat to be honest with you it's pretty poor um but you know we have to get it in there because it's a hellraiser movie and it's happened in all of the previous hellraiser films and i think it happens in pretty much every single one after that um don't know if it happens in Hellworld. that's probably the only one that it, i mean maybe it does but i haven't seen Hellworld in a very long time um maybe it does maybe it doesn't who knows i don't know i'll have to watch that again just to see what happens but um it's not as good as any of the earlier installments and probably not as good as any of the later installments either it's pretty you know pretty weak um but anyway detective uh thorn he wakes up in the bathroom where he woke up earlier that day so he's been through hell this journey we've been on with this character through his own personal hell trying to solve this case i i really enjoy this man really enjoy it uh he wakes up in the bathroom and he thinks it's all a dream he thinks he's got away with it and been giving himself a newfound lease of life so he ends up going he sees the hooker alive winner winner i'm i'm free goes to the uh, office and you can kind of see he's almost changing the way he speaks to people he's speaking to the uh, to nick with a lot more respect and he's saying no i'm looking forward to getting home to the family he's looking at a picture of his daughter and his wife and he's a lot more grateful for what he has in his life after going through this ordeal however he's still in hell he's there forever this is his, he, this is his eternal hell pinhead said it himself welcome to hell and the phone rings and it's the hooker again screaming for help the same way she was earlier in the movie he ends up pulling his gun out kills himself and wakes back up in the bathroom realizing that he is in his own eternal hell forever now this is the there's no do-overs in hellraiser he's, he's in hell he's staying there forever but it's almost a shame because you feel sorry for him even though he's really a horrendous person um he saw the error of his ways in this movie and then when he's sat back at his desk at the police station after he thinks it's all over he's looking at a picture of his daughter you know he's i can't wait to see my daughter you know he can't wait to see his wife you know cherish the time he has but he's never going to see them again he'll see them again later that day because pinhead's going to come and kill them again but they're not really there they're just part of his own personal hell um 
so that for me was a really fantastic ending you know you just the realization if you didn't already know already that he's going to be reliving this day for the most part over and over again for eternity in hell um so overall to sum up this movie i really enjoy this movie there's a couple of things i don't like obviously i don't like how little screen time pinhead has in this movie and i don't like the cowboy bar scene and the payoff could be better but it's that's not the be all and end all for me because the rest of the movie i thoroughly enjoy thoroughly enjoy the chase thoroughly enjoy uh most of the characters in this movie the acting's fantastic um and for me it's probably up there with the original three it's the best for me as i said earlier of the di- uh, director dvd sequels um i just really could have done with more pinhead a bit more gore you know no cowboys but overall this is a very very enjoyable watch i like the style of the movie i like the script um but as i said earlier as well even if you stripped away all of the hellraiser elements in this movie you would still have a pretty awesome movie to watch. So that says a lot, whereas a lot of the other director DVD ones, you kind of are... Rel- I actually think Hellseeker's pretty damn good as well, actually. Uh, that has Kirsty from the original th- two or three back in there as well. Um, although she plays a very small part. she's She is in that movie. Um, I actually think is a pretty damn awesome movie. But a lot of the other ones... You can tell that if they stripped away the Hellraiser characters, you would have a pretty bland movie. Whereas in this movie, for me actually, I would have liked to have seen a, a cut version where there was no Hellraiser characters in here. And then just like, show me that movie. Uh, because I think that would have still been a, a good movie to watch if you take away those things. But unfortunately they wouldn't have had the money, it wouldn't have been a successful it wouldn't have been made. Just at that point in time, this is what Dimension Movies wanted. They wanted some, some um, like a, not a cash grab, but they needed a script to throw out a Hellraiser movie. And this is it. So I'm glad they did because it's a damn, for me, it's a damn awesome movie. Uh, so overall, I would give this film, I was somewhere an hour in between a 6.5 and a 7. I'd probably give it a 7 out of 10 um, because I would probably give the original three Hellraisers a 7 out of 10 as well, or a 7.5 out of 10. And for me, this is up there just as good as those three movies. Um, It's a rough franchise, Hellraiser, for the most part. Really difficult franchise because it's so up and down, so up and down. But this one for me is, um, is definitely worth your time checking out. So, like we have been doing uh, on all our episodes, uh, this is episode 11 now, so we've done this, this is the 11th time of asking, we are going to end the episode with a little bit of trivia about the movie in question, so let's get down to it and let's talk some trivia about Hellraiser Inferno. So, the first one, like Hellraiser Hellseeker, after it, Inferno was originally a non-Hellraiser-related horror script owned by Dimension. To save money on writing a completely original Hellraiser story, the script was quickly edited to insert Pinhead and the Cenobites, which is so blatantly obvious. It's so blatantly obvious in um, the the next one, Hellseeker. I actually see this one and Hellseeker as a bit of a double feature because the storylines are so very similar, whereby someone's living their own personal hell over and over again. It's slightly different, but the rule of the movie is very, very similar. Uh, Hellseeker, for me, is very entertaining as well. I know a lot of people aren't a fan of these direct-to-DVD Hellraisers because, the, again, for this exact reason, it's it's a money-saving exercise to just sell a Hellraiser movie without really putting much effort into the Hellraiser lore. But as standalone movies, they're pretty damn decent movies. Uh, and as I say, if you take out the Hellraiser elements, you would still have a pretty good movie. So that speaks volumes. Um, the special effects budget was only $50,000 for this movie, but the whole budget was $2 million. What's $2 million? Let me just double check this because was it $2 million? It's got to have been. Yeah. Um... Two million dollars, yeah. So, and out of that, the special effects was only fifty thousand. Well, I tell you what, they did an awesome job with that because some of the effects in this movie is pretty damn good, and that explains why there's not a lot of gore in this movie for fifty thousand dollars. However, where the hell did the rest of the movie go? Where the hell did the rest of the money go? You know, fifty thousand dollars. So, what's that? One million nine hundred and fifty thousand was the rest of the movie. What? 
there's not really any huge names in here to pay. I mean, you would pay them a decent money, but you wouldn't pay them big money. Ah, uh, I don't know. Uh, Doug Bradley and Craig Schaefer also worked together in Nightbreed 1990. Uh, plot similarities to Leon Garfield's The Ghost Downstairs. I will have to maybe check that out. Um, and finally, when Dr. Paul Gregory reveals himself as the engineer, the cross on his lapel pin is upside down. So there's not a huge amount of trivia really on here about this movie, which is a bit of a shame. But I think a lot of the movie you can tell is, as it says, it's you know it's not really a Hellraiser movie. It's it's scripted for something else. But uh, and that's really the main takeaway of the plot of um, a trivia rather for this one. So a few little bits of trivia there. But hey, what can um, you know? Some weeks, some weeks you have more trivia, some weeks you have less trivia. It's just the way it is. So, anyway, I hope you've all enjoyed this week's episode. Episode 11, it's in the bag, it's wrapped up. I hope my ramblings haven't infuriated you too much because I am very aware that I've gone back and forth on a few similar points in this movie because, you know, that's there's a lot of those, those points are to be made. Um, so, anyway, I hope you've enjoyed the episode, episode 11. And next week on the podcast... We are going to be talking about a film that is extremely controversial. And I talked about it briefly, was it last week or the week before? Uh, so next week on the podcast, episode 12, we're going to be talking about the 1970s found footage film, Cannibal Holocaust. Now, the reason I'm going to talk about this movie next week is because it's currently on Amazon Prime. Um, I actually don't have this DVD. I was trying to get the DVD for a while, couldn't find it. Um, but it's it's on Amazon Prime now in all HD glory. Um, I watched it a couple a few weeks ago now, and whilst it's fresh in my mind, whilst it's still on Amazon Prime, I just want to get my review of that movie out there. Um, I know this movie is definitely not for everyone. It's extremely controversial for a lot of things that happen in the movie, so I totally understand people's objections to that movie as well um but i just really want to get my views out there of that movie because also i have a horrible feeling that it's probably going to get taken down off amazon prime at some point soon because it's just as we'll get to next week there's a lot of controversy around the film even to this day uh and i was actually surprised it's even on amazon prime for a lot of things that happen in the movie um it's probably a movie that for me maybe shouldn't be in the public eye but We'll get there next week, and there's, that's really the reason I want to talk about that particular movie, because um, it's just one, it's just a very strange, surreal, interesting movie to talk about. So whilst it's fresh in my mind, whilst it's on Amazon Prime, I just want to get my review out there. So next week, we're going to be talking about Cannibal Holocaust, so you've got that to look forward to, uh, and that is going to be a really good episode. I can promise you that my thoughts on that movie are going to be really good. So anyway, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me, guys. I hope you've all had an awesome time. Have an awesome week. Have a safe week. Stay safe. We'll get through this together. Keep watching horror movies. Make sure to watch... Hey, if you've got Amazon Prime, watch Cannibal Holocaust this week and then you can, you know, if you dare, and then we can uh, talk about it together next week and that'll be um, quite interesting. Make sure to... Um, Give our Facebook page a like as well, Slasher Street Podcast. Search us on Facebook, give us a like. Might actually be opened up a little web store soon as well, so you'll be able to buy t-shirts and things like that. Uh, I was looking to do it purely because I just want to get a t-shirt for myself. Um, but if you guys wanted to buy a t-shirt as well, you know, I'm going to make them as close to cost price as possible. Um... So I might have more information on that next week as well. So anyway, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me once again here on Slasher Street Podcast. We'll see you all next week for the Cannibal Holocaust review. Have a safe week. Have an awesome week. And remember, if you're watching horror movies, everyone, stay scared. My eyes are deceiving me. What you see is real. What's done is done, and what I've done is right. It's the work of science.
argue with me. How can you make an experiment of horror? Then you intend to go through with it. Yes. Yeah.